Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Essex Church, where this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians, meets each Sunday for worship, as well as for other activities during the week. Welcome to those of you who are new to this place, or perhaps to Unitarian worship. Welcome to those of you who are here most weeks, and welcome to our regular visitors. Just as we have all taken our different paths to arrive here, so we as Unitarians are free to shape our path of faith. We're not identified by fixed beliefs because for many of us, belief changes and develops in response to life. But what I think does identify us as a community is a responsible search for meaning and purpose an emphasis on healthy values to guide us in life, and a commitment to making ours a more just world. So I invite you now to take a conscious breath and to just tell yourself that you are here, you have arrived. Let's be focused and present here. And yet we can also relax. Know yourself to be truly welcomed and accepted just as you are. Whoever you are, whatever you are, however you are, there is a place for you here. May this hour that we spend together help us all in our different ways, as we perhaps sense our part in something greater than ourselves. For whatever our faith and whatever our beliefs, whatever our journey through life, we are part of the great stream of life itself, flowing, moving, ever onwards. We are indeed in this together. May the light and the warmth of this, our chalice flame, symbol of our worldwide Unitarian community, may its light and warmth help to still our minds, soften our hearts, ease our bodies and inspire our spirits such that we may better experience the gift of aliveness and the wonder and the mystery of existence this morning. And so let's join now in a time of prayer and reflection. as I call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now in this, our time of worship. We are here, each as an individual, yet part of the whole worshipping community and indeed the wider community of our world. We're here with our different life stories, our private joys and concerns, our secrets and our burdens, our hopes and our fears. As we consider the world and money this day, let's give thanks for that which we have, for the security we know and those people and structures that give us what we have. Some of us will not feel such security and we know that financial insecurity is the reality for most human beings. So let us pray and hold in our loving thoughts all those who struggle through poverty and financial injustice. 
Let us hold the possibility in our hearts of creating a more just and equitable sharing of the world's resources such that all might have their needs met. May we live in awareness of the greed and anxiety that fuels so much of human living on this earth, yet be reflective enough to step beyond that to a place of justice and love. And in a brief time of shared stillness now, let us direct our loving thoughts to those people and places in need, in our own lives or in the life of our world. And I pray that all beings may be happy and at peace this day. And though this be impossible to achieve, still let us strive for that in our own lives, that the ripples of peace and justice and love might stretch outwards and touch all those we meet. And may this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. I don't know why I do this to myself. I look at the order of service and it says some thoughts about God and money. (laughs) Where do you begin? But finance is a great concern for any religious establishment, every mosque, every temple, every church and cathedral, every synagogue and chapel has bills to pay, wages to cover, buildings in need of mending, never mind the needy to care for. So it's not surprising that money is high on the agenda whenever religious leaders get together. And so it was that a rabbi and a priest and a Unitarian minister were talking together one day about this thorny issue of money and the divine. Now, not surprisingly, they all took a collection in their worship time each week, just as we do. And the discussion that day centred on how to decide what portion of this money belonged to God and what portion to the leader themselves, wages in the religious world being somewhat slim. So the rabbi explained that after the collection each Shabbat, he would draw a circle on the ground and he'd throw the money from the collection high up in the air And what lands in the circle belongs to him, and what lands outside the circle is for the most holy one. What a coincidence, said the priest. I do the same, or, well, rather similar. See, I throw the money in the air, and whatever lands in the circle belongs to God, and that which falls outside the circle, well, that's for me. Fancy that, said the Unitarian minister. Do you know, we do a very similar thing. Each Sunday, after we take the collection, we take the money from the collection bags, I make the circle on the floor, I throw the collection up in the air, and then whatever God wants each week, God takes. And then whatever falls back down to ground, well, that is clearly for me. When I used to teach religion to teenagers, there'd come a point with most classes when the young people, and especially the thoughtful ones, would turn against religion. They'd see it as the cause of all the world's problems. 
the cause of wars and all those other forms of conflict. If we didn't have religion, they'd say, this world would be all right. And gently, I'd have to guide them to the realisation that it's not religion that's the problem for this world, it's people. The world would be a far more peaceful place without us. Now, at some point with teenagers, most of them reach a similar realisation about money. Money is not the root of all evil. Humanity is. Money and religion are merely vehicles for human expression and interaction. And we don't need to blame them for our struggles. We invented them, I think, to carry our needs and our yearnings. And the question then is, how does a global community use money for good and not as a means of exploitation? And that gets dealt with, to some extent, in our next hymn, which is a lovely one. Um, It's number 128. It's called Our World is One World. As you came in, I'm hoping you chose a coin or a note, some money. Um, Everybody needs some money in this service um, from our collection. The collection goes the other way around at this point. Um, So if you don't like the money that you've got, you can now swap it. Or if you haven't got any, come and choose something else from the table. It's all up for grabs. This is a story of the widow's offering from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's always interested me that Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, spoke more of money than he ever did of heaven and hell. And we find the same in most of the world's religions. They're seeking to guide us humans through the challenge of living in a spiritual world, in the material world rather, with a spiritual orientation. They tackle the essential ethical questions of existence. It is inevitable that life is unfair, that the resources we need to exist are distributed inequitably. How then must we live? Many such teachings centre on our anxiety, on our oh-so-human trait of clinging on for safety, for power, perhaps, for control. But the voice of the Spirit beckons us onwards, to a place of potential where we realise some true values of life. There's nothing wrong with money until we cling in fear to it. Both the rich and the poor and all those placed somewhere in between can be liberated or enslaved by finance. Jesus' marvellous image of the rich man hoping to enter heaven as being as easy as a camel making its way through the eye of a needle That's pointing out that the more we have, 
the more we tend to cling to it. I found a lovely um, Sufi story um, that, that, that looks at this issue. And it tells how the dervish was praying silently when a, a wealthy merchant who observed his devotion and sincerity and was touched by it, therefore offered the dervish a bag of gold. I know you'll use the money for God's sake. Please, please, take it. Hmm, just a moment, the dervish replied. I'm not sure if it is lawful for me to take your money. Are you a wealthy man? Do you have more money at home? Oh, yes, came the reply. At least 1,000 gold pieces at home, claimed the merchant proudly. Ah, said the dervish, do you want 1,000 gold pieces more? Why, yes, came the reply, of course I do. Every day I work hard to earn more money. Ah, and do you wish for yet a thousand gold pieces more after that? Well, certainly, every day I pray that I may earn more and more money. And at that, the dervish pushed that bag of gold back to the merchant. Well, I'm sorry, he said, I cannot take your gold. A wealthy man cannot take money from a beggar. The merchant spluttered, how can you call yourself a wealthy man and me a beggar? Ah, well, the dervish replied, I'm a wealthy man because I am content with whatever God sends me. You, you're a beggar because no matter how much you possess, you are always dissatisfied and always begging God for more. And so it does indeed truly depend what we truly value, what we genuinely hold to be of worth. I was sharing a meal with some friends the other night and asking their views about this topic for today's service of money. And the conversation quickly degenerated into a telling of jokes and a singing of songs, all of which now you are mercifully to be shared, spared rather. But, but what became clear was our interest in the topic and perhaps our equal measure of discomfort about it. Money is not a comfortable thing for most of us to discuss. And most of us, I think, have our secret prides and our secret shames around this subject. And it's no wonder, really, is it? For unless we live in a completely sheltered community, withdrawn from the world, money is the currency of life. It does indeed make the world go round. And go round in ways that many of us who care about justice find difficult to accept. Henri Nouen, the Dutch-born Catholic priest, writes movingly of money when he describes it thus. Money has something to do with that intimate little place in your heart where you need security and don't want to give that away. However well off we are, and however much personal exploration we have engaged in, that insecurity is there. Perhaps it's symbolic of the very insecurity of life itself. The, as is my wont with these services, I have spent the week on the internet doing, doing research and uh, I just set off. This is an error, don't do this. Start researching the history of the development of money. You can become quickly obsessed with all sorts of intriguing little facts and fancies. But 
we clearly needed from our earliest days a system of exchange. And we used things, we used symbols like shells or iron rods to represent that exchange. Then there was the uh, development of the use of, early, of clay tablets in early civilizations to mark what had been earned through labor. And I had no idea that coins were developed so late in human history by the Lydians, it seems, in what is now modern Turkey, perhaps around 700 BC. It's not all that long ago, is it really? And there, on one side of those earliest coins, as it is to this day, on many of our coins and notes, there's a picture of someone powerful. For finance and power are very close companions in our world. If any of you um, picked up the £5 note, I don't know if it's, it's still there, and I suspect many of our other notes, it, it's got written on it, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £5. Notes and coins and indeed the whole of our financial system is based on interesting concepts like trust. When you hear a Chancellor of the Exchequer speaking of confidence in the market, you may remember that the whole of our financial system is based on such a nebulous idea. Confidence? Heaven help us. Confidence that a house is worth so much, that somebody's labour is worth this amount, whilst that person over there's labour is worth a hundred times more. The more we look at money, the more we may marvel or shudder at its power and its fickleness. So many words link with it. Powerful words. Power is one of them. Wealth, poverty, ownership, charity, competition, loans, trade, both fair and otherwise, generosity, tips, gifts, presents, exchange, transactions, independence, dependence, interdependence, hoarding and circulation. And in the end, money, well, really, it's a vehicle for human living. It can help us, I actually think, make a link between the spiritual and the material realms. When Jesus picked up that coin famously and said, give to Caesar what is due to Caesar and give to God what is due to God, he cleverly avoided a trap set for him by his questioners. He wasn't going to lead a rebellion against the Roman powers, but he was going to remind people again and again and again that we ourselves have the power, however rich or poor we might be, to do something to redress the injustices of this world. When I heard Justin Welby, the new Archbishop of Canterbury, speaking out against um, so-called payday loan companies, the ones that charge poorer people, interest rates in their thousands of percent. When he spoke out about that, the other percent, the other week rather, I was impressed. And I was even more impressed a few days later, I know some of you were too, when he responded so well, I think, to news reports that the Church of England's own pension fund had investments in just such a company. He didn't wriggle or deny it. He simply expressed once more his commitment to seek an alternative, to help set up credit unions which could lend money to people at a reasonable rate of interest, not an extortionate one. 
and he usefully pointed out the complexity of our financial uh, institutions. The verse in that hymn we've just sung, wealth won by others, poverty, not such be mine. It's all of ours, isn't it? Wealth won by others' poverty is the truthful place that all of our money has come from one way or another in a country such as ours. And we can't get out of that. We actually don't know where most of our money is placed or what uses it's being put to, nor the true sources of our wealth in the past or to this day. There's no doubt in my mind that money makes the world go round, but I do wonder if we can reassert once more that we are, at least partially, in charge and not anonymous investment bankers. Then we might truly start to use money for the good of all and to establish ways of living that promote justice and love. I'd like to see that day. Amen. And so, go in peace. Live simply, gently, at home in yourselves. Act justly, speak justly. Remember the depths of your own compassion and forget not your power in the days of your powerlessness. Desire not to be wealthier than your peers and stint not your hand of charity. Practice forbearance. Speak the truth or speak not. Take care of yourselves as bodies, for you are a good gift. Crave peace for all people of the world, beginning with yourselves, and go as you go with the dream of that peace alive in your hearts. Amen. Go well and blessed be.